0: Well, good evening, everyone. Right, back here tonight, if you'd turn to your Bibles, to the book of Col... Wait, sorry. We've <laughs> moved on. Seems like I'd come here, up here every time, and it was turned to the book of Colossians. But we have finished that book now, and we're moving into a new one. The book of 1 Timothy. And tonight, um, I'd like to go ahead and introduce this whole series here is where is your church going is the, uh, the subject material of, of our study through 1 Timothy and the essentials of a quality church and uh, for this lesson the key verse is in chapter 3 verses, uh, verses 14 and 15 if you want to turn over there 1 Timothy 3 verses 14 and 15 read these things write i unto thee hoping to come unto thee shortly but if i tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of god which is the church of the living god the pillar and ground of the truth let's go ahead and open with prayer heavenly father we thank you for our evening here tonight to be able to uh, just come here and gather together to hear your word preached To pray that you'd fill me with your spirit Lord as we begin this lesson these new series of lessons here in first Timothy Lord just help us uh, to grow closer to you to challenge us in our walk with you we ask this in Jesus name amen you may be seated so that's about the only time we're going to be spending in first Timothy tonight because our lesson book has us going to the book of Acts to get some perspective on Paul's writing to his letter to Timothy. So Paul, along with trusted co-laborers, established a vibrant church at Ephesus. Timothy was placed in a leadership role of the church of Ephesus. And as the church grew, inevitable problems surfaced. So Paul wrote the epistle to Timothy in the form of 1 Timothy to address some of those problems. And then if we look at the introduction, if you have a Schofield Bible, the introduction to 1 Timothy, uh, I. A. Schofield writes, as the churches of Christ increased in number, the questions of church order, of soundness in the faith, and of discipline became important. At first, the apostles regulated these things directly, but the approaching end of the... Apostolic period made it necessary That a clear revelation should be made For the guidance of the churches Such revelation is in 1st Timothy And in Titus I'm going to pause for a second because I don't think I hit the record button So It will be awkward if I did And I did So It is extremely awkward I hit the record button and that will be Cut out I guess in post Um, Okay So 1st Timothy Um, To set this all up, we're going to be looking at uh, Acts Chapter 18, but by way of introduction, uh, I don't know if anybody's had a chance to get a copy of the student manual yet, but um, anybody here a a really die-hard sports fan? Don't don't everybody raise your hands at once. Okay, so this will probably go over like a lead balloon. So does anybody know where Kansas City is? Anybody have any idea what Major League Baseball is? Baseball, sticks, balls, diamonds, all these different things? So, the often beleaguered Kansas City Royals started the 2003 baseball season on a tear. They're really tearing it up. They're, they're winning. If, any, if you know anything about baseball, Kansas City is, had been since the mid 80s, after the mid 80s when they won the World Series, the doormat of their division. They were the perpetual losers, everybody's lovable losers. So they won 16 in this season in 2003. They won 16 of their first 19 games. That's pretty good in baseball. That's really good in baseball. Usually if you're winning more than 50% of your games when you're playing like a 160-game season, um, you're doing reasonably well. So they had the best record in their division and were in first place by five and a half games. That's a pretty good lead. Um, I'll be honest, in my in my life growing up, my parents, my family, was they were never big sports fans. I came by it when I got to high school a little bit, and then more in college, and then there was this exponential decay after that where I don't really care so much about it anymore. Um, The playoffs and maybe an even World Series championship seemed like a real possibility for the perennial last place Royals, but on Friday, August 29th, 2003, it all fell apart. The bottom fell out of their season. They lost to Anaheim. That night, and went on to lose seventeen of their final thirty games, you we are like, eh, okay, it's a little more than fifty percent of my games that I just lost here. The problem is they went from five and a half games in the lead to third place in her division, seven games out of first place, so it's just that much can can tip the scales. The Royals finished the season in third place. Uh, three games, or seven games at a, at a first, the upstart team from KC was soon forgotten, right? If you're not on top, can you tell me who lost the Super Bowl from five years ago? No. I, I'm guessing five years ago, probably New England won or something like that. I don't know. But you're n- you, the loser, the second-place team, is never remembered, let alone the last-place team. So their manager, Tony Pena, went from a hero to just another manager. The royal's promising start ended in a ho-hum mediocrity. So question one in the books that that are on the shelf that you'll soon be looking at, and you'll get an advanced uh, head start on this. Question one, what collapses have you witnessed in sports, maybe not in sports, but in any other area of life? Anybody witnessed or been part of a collapse like that where it's just kind of like everything's going really well getting to the top and then you run off the cliff anybody have any of those experiences that you can think of well I have one that's pretty much related to well at least one one that's related to the dot-com bubble of nineteen ninety-nine anybody remember all that stuff from twenty something years ago now the stock market is going up and we have e-pets and e-this and e-that all these different websites are cashing in and this is going to be the next big thing until they find out well there's actually no substance behind the stock value the market capitalization of a stock hundreds of millions of dollars for something that is basically a, a bit of software code that runs on a website isn't worth a whole bunch well, at that time I was just about ready to finish college, and I got my first job in Arizona with a company called Motorola, a little company called Motorola. Anybody ever hear of that company? Has anybody heard of it lately? No. Now, what you have will give you a little bit of a history. You will be able to find a Motorola phone out there, but it is owned by a Chinese company named Lenovo. They, the, they bought the brand name. The hardware infrastructure group that built all the cell phone base stations, I believe, doesn't exist anymore. And the semiconductor component portion of it spun off into a company called NXP, which eventually was bought by uh, it was Philips out of Royal Dutch uh, Philips out of the Netherlands. They had a combination merger with a company called Freescale, which was the spin-off. And they became NXP. Basically, Motorola doesn't exist as it is now. The history of the company was that a man named uh, Galvin uh, started the company by building motor roller motor radios Victrola was the that's a combination that's where the where the name comes from automobile radios car radios is what he was first known for built all of those things up became one of the first semiconductor companies along with Texas Instruments in, in the world and and now that name is relegated to a Chinese-made cell phone is what it is so what collapse have have I seen Motorola was one of them right this big company that's riding high we had amazing profits I joined at the peak I graduated college and I joined at the peak of Motorola it was downhill from there they invented the cell phone right? Not just the smartphone, but the, its predecessor, the cell phone, back in the 1980s or in the early 1980s. And it was a gigantic contraption, two and a half pounds that you had to ha- hang off here. And it was, it was a derivative of their handy talkie, which was the communication, portable commu- communication device that the army used in World War II and other uh, things like that, other ra- wireless radio communications. They invented this technology and they thought that they could stick with this. They had analog, the corner on the analog cell phone market, the smart tech, the clamshell flip open little black phones that everybody wanted to have in the late 90's. Analog is it, why would you want to do anything else? Well, A little company called Nokia came in and ate their lunch and uh, created the digital cell phone and the rest <laughs> is history. So Motorola had this invention and they dominated the market, but they became complacent and they reached their peak and they fell off a cliff, similar to the Kansas City Royals. So question two, maybe I'll be answering the same one, but maybe knowing the story and maybe realizing some stories maybe on your own, question number two says, what do you attribute this collapse to? If you've witnessed a catastrophic collapse of a company or an organization or of a church even, is that what was that what could you attribute that to be caused by? Anybody have any ideas? Brother Charles? I probably think of maybe management owner owners. Management management, owners, shareholders, uh the the decisions that are made there. I think a lot of it comes down to pride. We have the number one cell phone in the country, in the world. Why would anybody go anywhere else for anything else? We're witnessing some of that today, and I, I, maybe I'm a little too technology-biased and followed a little too much. Uh, it is the industry that I work in. Intel, another one of those companies, is collapsing and imploding. Their lunch is being eaten right now by a company called AMD. AMD makes the best processors in the world today. Intel is, um, is flagging, is, is needs some help, I suppose. So what do I attribute these collapses to? And not going into Intel's um, issues at all, pride is one of them, I think the main one that is caused there. Like, we have the best, we're the best, nobody else can beat us. Well, you're, you're, you're too confident in yourself now. Assuredness that their technology would persist forever. Why would anybody want anything but an analog cell phone? Can anybody tell me everybody's got a smartphone in here that has a cell phone today? Yeah, that's, that's way more useful than something that's got no battery life and you've got to punch in all the digits instead of just talking to it to say, call mom. Question number three now. What threatens the collapse of churches? If we consider what had happened to the Royals, what has happened to Motorola, and what is happening to Intel, what threatens the collapse of churches, do you think? Sister Lynn? Strife and division. Strife and division would be one of them. I think to the individual members, and maybe to the church at large as a as a body, the pride of life. If we're just too self-focused, uh, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things, as Mark chapter four says, and it could just be instead of the acto- actual active things of pride, the pride of apathy, just uh, well, things just go along. Let's just. Um, it doesn't really matter what happens in, in the church. Well, it should matter to you. It should matter that we have a healthy church, that we are one that is seeking to follow the Lord, please the Lord, uh, and serve him. These things should be a concern to everyone. And complacency, right, along with apathy, apathy. All right, so let's go into our slides here, After, by way of introduction there. Problems churches face. Uh, One, a church is established. Now we're going through uh, a little bit of a walk into the book of Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy, by looking at Acts chapter 18, which is where we'll be spending our time this evening, Uh, eventually moving into Acts 19 in later lessons. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Acts chapter 18. We'll turn over there. So the background of 1st Timothy takes us to the church of Ephesus that we find in 1st Timothy 1.3. The account of the birth and development of this church begins in the book of Acts. Point A, church birth. Now we'll be going to the map that I'm glad that I have today. And we'll be looking at some of these places. So if you have a, a good idea, I don't know if anybody out there is is uh, like a cartography aficionado or or anything like that. I I, um, absolutely love maps, always have, from the time I was a kid. Um, So if we have, I think we have a red dot here, cool. So where we start out in the book of Acts 18 contains a partial accounting of Paul's second and third missionary journeys, and after preaching on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, Paul's in, in Athens right there he travels to the city of Corinth and everybody can see that right there Corinth right there and the Corinth of Paul's time let's just talk about Corinth a little bit there are Corinths, Corinths in the world today. Uh, not not just in Greece. The city, there's a city still there today. But we have our own Corinth here in the United States. You could say it's located a little bit south of here. A little town called the Meadows in southern Nevada, Clark County. You might know it as Las Vegas. The Meadows is what Las Vegas stands for. Uh, being a four-year resident of that city. I know a little bit of its history. The city of Corinth is very much like Las Vegas in our, in our country today. We all know what Las Vegas is, what it stands for. It is the vice capital of the United States. Okay. However, there remained a remnant not corrupted by the world, right? There's every sort of vice there uh, in Corinth, that you could indulge yourself in innumerable pleasures, that this world has to offer. But just like today, uh, there remained a remnant not corrupted by the world. And in in Las Vegas today, there are some good Bible believing and preaching and teaching churches there that would believe much like we do, and uh, as a lighthouse to that to that city. <coughs> Acts chapter eighteen verse two. So Paul arrives in Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. So we have Priscilla or Aquila and Priscilla have come from Rome and landed in Corinth. And Paul met up with them and uh, likely they came from Rome as Claudius had kicked all the Jews out of Rome because they were getting stirred up. Like, you're causing a ruckus. We want to keep our town with, you know, as little riots as possible to keep the peace here. All you guys that are making trouble, time to get out. So they came to Corinth, and Paul meets up with them. Verse verse 3, we find that Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers. And Paul, and he... I'm sorry, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. So we find out something interesting about the Apostle Paul. Things that we already knew about him were he was a man who studied the law, he, was, he, w- he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. We'll find that out later uh, in Acts chapter 22. But he also received training in tent making. Now, I find this interesting. That a man who's, who's, who has what you would call an academic or scholarly career also has a trade, something to do with his hands. I find that admirable. Somebody who, you know, you've got a lot of brain knowledge up here, but you don't know how to tie your shoes. There's a problem there. You don't know how to bang a nail. Any of these things. I find it admirable that people who are uh, about the Lord's work also have skills. They can do things. We'll recognize some here tonight, so not to embarrass anybody here, but Pastor uh, having a career in painting and being a skilled painter and also a commercial driver. And Brother Chris, having uh, st- both Brother Chris and, and uh, Pastor, having studied at Bible College, have, has a skill as a diesel technician. So having a skill working with your hands to provide for your living, but also serving the Lord and serving the Lord first and foremost. Let me skip down to verse eighteen, and Paul after he after this, so his time spent in Corinth, and he's teaching there for uh, it says here that after he tarried there yet a good while, some have estimated eighteen months or so, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence unto Syria into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Chentria, for he had a vow. So here we find that Paul purposed to travel to Syria. He's, he's, his time in Corinth is over. He's m- now moving on. He's purposed to attend a feast in Jerusalem, and he's on that way, and he's bringing his friends with him. So I find something I find interesting in the study guide here, and I didn't find supported anywhere else, in Scripture especially, the study guide suggests that Syria is in Asia Minor is what they're writing here and I'm not finding anything like that. The Syria that we know of in Bible times and uh, in modern times now too is in is much closer to the land of Israel. So they were placing this on some of the maps and drawings here I think is it even not sure if it's listed here I've seen some that have listed it basically right in this area somewhere here because we have Ephesus sitting here across the Aegean. I believe this is the Aegean Sea and however I'm not finding that support for that so making a a stop in Ephesus so the, the other thing that I want to point out here too is that Paul purposed to go to Syria but what we find is he stops in Ephesus so some might assume that oh well Paul had already stopped in Syria then and then makes his way onto Ephesus or better yet has anybody ever flown on an airplane I think most everybody in here has flown on an airplane before let's say we want to fly from Portland to someplace back east and I'll, I'll just because I know the routes a little bit let's fly from Portland to Boston so if you want to fly from Portland to Boston and you don't have a direct flight right sometimes you can get a direct flight from Portland to Boston but you can get to Boston by way of Denver or Chicago, if you're really unlucky, Atlanta, um, all of these things, right? You can go all of these different places, you can connect. So you can get to Syria via Ephesus is a way, and we see later that eventually Paul does make his way to Jerusalem. So our connecting flights are an example of, of that. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and left them, that, that would be Aquila and Priscilla there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, this is something we find with, with Paul, right? His heart is for his people, the Jewish people. He is the apostle to the Gentiles, but he hasn't let off. When he gets, gets into a town, he stops at the synagogue. It's a place he wants to go. He wants to reason with his brethren, to point to Christ, reason with them out of the scriptures verse 20 when they desired him to tarry longer time with them he consented not but bade them farewell saying I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem but I will return again unto you if God will and he sailed from Ephesus so whether Paul or sorry so moving on now so whether Aquila and Priscilla were believers in Rome or not before they had been kicked out It's not clear. But it's clear by the time they arrived in Ephesus, they were believers and faithful brethren. So whether they were brethren in Rome, whether Paul was the one who witnessed to them, you know, you you meet somebody who has a common occupation. You're both tent makers. Hey, cool, we we sew tents together. And you start talking. You start talking to them about the things of the Lord and witnessing to them, and you can share your testimony with them, and, and maybe that's when they got saved. I'm not exactly sure. But it's clear by this time, when the three of them reach Ephesus, that uh, Aquila and Priscilla are faithful brethren. Verse 22: when they had landed in Caesarea, or sorry, uh, so Paul leaves them in Ephesus and he sails on and when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church he went down to Antioch and after he had spent some time there he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order strengthening all the disciples so this this is the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey if you ascribe to uh, multiple imprisonments this is where things are being pointed to um had him teach instruct and set right errors in the local churches so what what paul is doing here is he's traveling back through and he is he is uh he he is getting a report from those that are there and continuing to teach and instruct others and but what we also see too is that the time of traveling for him was nearing an end and there was a need for right church doctrine to be preserved so right at this point the apostles are traveling around. The apostle Paul is traveling around, visiting these different churches. They're teaching right doctrine to the churches, setting things right, correctly disciplining when it's necessary, exhorting, uh, and continuing to to disciple. And then they would move on. But the time has come when there's a need for doctrine to be preserved. Preserved, and two examples of this that we have for us today preserved: First Timothy and the Book of Titus, among the the entire remainder of the the Bible that we have, but these two specifically in this case. So then we read how God used Aquila and Priscilla to minister the gospel to another Jew named Apollos. They recognized some deficiencies as he spoke. They helped him grow in his understanding of God's redemptive plan. So Acts chapter 18 verse 24, and a certain Jew named Apollos born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures. So this is somebody who is born in Alexandria. Alexandria, uh, I, I mean, we've had discussions since last time where pastors taught about Alexandria. Not Good things don't come out of Alexandria, or Egypt in general, or Babylon, or Rome in general as well, uh, of these places. But we see the exception here, we see the uh, Apollos, a Jew named Apollos, with a Greek name, coming out of Alexandria, a a city known for learning and knowledge, let's put it that way, maybe not necessarily wisdom, but knowledge in that case, and an eloquent man, so someone not like me, (laughs) that can speak very well has a commanding presence in, in uh, public speaking. And not that I can single out anyone specifically, but when you know when you see somebody, when you hear somebody, if, if you've ever gone to a seminar or talk or seen somebody on TV or gone to any any sort of public speaking event, you know when somebody has the command of the audience. And one thing that I've noticed, at least in my time of doing these things, that command comes from confidence in your material that you have. And in case of preaching, it comes from the Holy Spirit, uh, giving you that confidence and assuredness of what you're what you're going what you're teaching as well. Mighty in the scriptures, he came to Ephesus now. So we have Aquila and Priscilla there. Verse 25: The man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit so he knew the scriptures and at this time the scriptures are what we call the Old Testament Right, the New Testament isn't fully penned and fleshed out yet and he's well versed in the scriptures and being fervent in the spirit he's on fire for the Lord he spake and taught diligently he was this he was this was his business he was about this he was a eloquent, eloquent man he knew his subject material and it was on fire for the Lord, but he only knew the baptism of John and the baptism of repentance. So you could say repentance toward towards God. He didn't know the faith on the Lord Jesus Christ part yet. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, so they're at the synagogue listening to Apollos, they took him unto them, so you can imagine, I think, um, J. Vernon McGee says that, yeah, they invited him over for dinner. Had him over for dinner, and they, they, they taught him the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. They took them unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They said, okay, yeah, you know the b- baptism of John. Here's the rest of it. Jesus Christ came. The Messiah came. He lived a perfect life. He died willingly and gave up his life on the cross, shed his blood. And he rose again, most importantly. And through him, through faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. So Apollos eventually traveled on to open the word of God and skillfully share Christ in other places. We see that in verse 27 and 28. And others, he's mentioned by the Apostle Paul in, in some of his writings as well. Uh, as being one who's an eloquent speaker Uh, those that would refer I'm of Paul I'm of Apollos thinking that the the power of the gospel is within a man it's not well it's not in a man like you and I but in the person of Jesus Christ that's where the power lies so what we see here in summary what we see in these verses about the birth of the local church is a faithful missionary or a church planter or, or somebody to go out and carry the wor- word to a group of people that pro- is proclaiming the gospel. Right? We have the Apostle Paul going out and proclaiming Jesus Christ in the synagogue <coughs> and to those that would hear him. And for a time in Corinth, for a long time in Corinth, they heard him there and in Ephesus again this time they heard him there. God is doing the saving at this point. God's saving people who are discipled, who are then discipled by other believers. So the church is growing. Church is planted, started that seed, that kernel is there, it germinates and flourishes. Believer disciples new believer, and the cycle continues. These new believers then continuing to minister, disciple others, and then go out and begin new churches. We see Aquila and Priscilla headed off to the work in Ephesus and continuing to bolster and minister there. And that's how it is. And that's how these new beginnings that we have here, i go back here, church is established. Um, so in the I guess in the remainder time um, one of the other introduction topics here was as it is to ask the question to all of you have you, any of you been a part of a new work starting a, ch- a, a new church um, seeing something be brought up from from, from, from from humble beginnings does anybody have any experience? Brother Dennis? There, they've been in now for the last uh, 45 years right. so ha- having a small work I mean length of time the church at Ephesus was very young at this time and Aquila and Priscilla are there ministering as well and continuing to come along and partner and and, and continuing to, to witness and do what they can in those areas and, and whether it's building physical building or building up the brethren and discipling right yeah, God gives uh, gifts to all of us, of uh, varying degrees and 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 varying skills in that regard, and uh, expects us to use them for His glory. All right, I guess with that we'll be moving on uh, to Acts chapter nineteen next week, and and to parts forward. Eventually, we will make it into the book of First Timothy, and uh, I'm looking forward to that because. Uh, I I like the verse by verse teaching sort of things you you look at these verses here you you pick them all apart, pull them apart go other places in the Bible and find out how those other places and within the text, immediate text supports uh, what God has to say it's it's all one big letter to us all anyway, the Bible so let's go ahead and pray Heavenly Father we thank you for our evening here tonight Lord I pray that you would help us to, to grow closer to you to continue uh, in service for you and to to glorify and honor you in all that we do Lord I thank you for uh, this example here of of new beginnings and new churches and bringing up things uh, a new work there and and discipling of believers and expounding the word to others Uh, Lord we thank you for the truth of your word help us to just be humble and faithful servants of you